everybody to the Live the Eight Wise Way podcast. I hope you are well. I hope you are thriving and excelling. And if you're not, trust me, my friends, we are here to help you. My name is Kim Rutherford, psychotherapist, author of Eight Wise Ways to a Healthy, Happier Mind, creator of the Eight Wise Model and Program for Better Mental Health and Wellbeing, and as you can hear, podcast host as well. And I've got to say, I'm proper chuffed, proper chuffed, really happy, really excited and so grateful, so, so grateful to every one of you that has taken the time to listen to the podcast, like the podcast, share it, talk about it, follow it and subscribe to it. And most importantly, I'm really, really, really grateful that you have committed to doing the process and and you're focusing on learning to live the eight wise way so you can have a better quality of life. It was my dream. It's my passion. It's my motivation to try and help millions and millions of people just have a better way of life so that they can look after their mental health and well-being and have a healthier, happier mind for as long as possible and just have a lovely life because of it. Now today, episode 15, we are going to be talking about emotions. Every time I say the word emotions, I get Whitney Houston in my head, which isn't a bad thing. I love, I loved Whitney. I miss Whitney. And so right now I've got, I get so emotional baby in my head with Whitney right now. Please do feel free to message me and let me know what comes to your mind when you hear the word emotions. Let's see how crazy our brains all work together. But in the previous episodes, we've been talking about transitions and change and how different transitions and change, you know, how they impact us and how they impact our stress levels because they're not really built for change. So transitions bring lots of challenges. And in the last episode, we talked about how you need to really be able to understand your stress levels and understand where they are. So, you know, when you need to implement more self-care routines and understand how stress is impacting you emotionally, physically, behaviorally, and psychologically. So you can try and reduce any form of physical or psychological damage it might be having. And I said all along that one of the things, the whole point of this is that you need to understand where your stress levels are at. So, cause you need to be able to understand what triggers you and how it triggers you so that you can then identify it quicker identify when it's happening, understand the specifics of situations that are triggering you and implement problem solving tools to reduce the impact. So that then makes you healthier mentally and physically moving along. So today we are talking all about emotions. She's in my head again, go Whitney. And it's understanding unpleasant emotions. Today I want us to talk about unpleasant emotions because unpleasant emotions are something that sadly we need to feel we need to experience, we can't ignore them, but they tend to be the ones that we either choose to suppress and ignore or completely dominate us. So I want to talk through that today so you have a better understanding of how you can manage your emotions differently, better, how they might be impacting you and ultimately get some emotional regulation in place. And this is going to help dramatically with improving your emotional well-being and wellness overall. So as always, Let's start at the very beginning. Now, emotional health is obviously incredibly crucial. Our psychological well-being doesn't happen without really good emotional health. But what tends to happen when it comes to trying to regulate emotions and understanding psychological well-being and emotional health, specifically, as I said, from my experience and the clients that I work with in my private practice or who've attended my training or, you know, at the conferences that I'm doing speaker events at, what they're basically saying to me is, They get confused because we've got all of these different words that are interlinked and interchangeable that people are using to say the same thing. And the three most common words that get used to change or interlink or interchange with each other are emotions, feelings and moods. 
And they're actually three very different things, although they are all closely connected. So I want to make sure if nothing else, by the end of this episode, you are able to go away, make a cup of tea, sit down and go, do you know what? At least now I understand what my emotion is, how I'm feeling and how my mood is impacted because of it. That's a really, really big deal for me. And that's going to help you with your emotional regulation, which is a life skill that I wish they taught in schools, because if we could just learn to regulate our emotions from such a young age, we wouldn't have half of the issues that we have with our mental health as we get older. I always say, you know, at the end of the day, my job isn't necessarily to work with adults, although I specialize in adults. My job is to heal the child that didn't know how to heal themselves at the time that they were experiencing the things that they were experiencing. And it stays with us in adulthood. And then we have bigger issues. So Let's start with emotions. Emotions are an intense reaction to a very specific incident. And like most things that happen, our emotions, although are psychological, because the way that our mind has the ability to penetrate every cell in our body, what actually happens is you've got these two trigger points going on. Our emotions are a chemical response that are released into our body as a reaction to a very specific incident or experience that we have. Emotions themselves last around about six seconds. So that chemical release is put into our bodies. It does whatever it's going to do in our bodies. And after about six seconds, the emotion itself can disappear. It's an energy that can burn out. Now, the difference between emotions and feelings. Feelings are the cognitive thinking of the emotions that we have. So emotions create the feeling. And when I say cognitive thinking, it's a case of we have that surge of chemical in our body. Our brain picks up on that. And our cognitive part of our brain, the thinking and decision-making part of our brain, suddenly tries to make sense of it. So that emotion now creates a feeling. So when we feel, we're actually feeling physically the emotional sensation that we experienced in that six seconds. So emotions are a chemically released response to a specific incident And as soon as we start to cognitively think about that within the six seconds it's existing, it creates the feeling and we feel that physical sensation linked to that emotion. Now, moods, these are less intense, but they're in fact influenced by factors such as the environment and the physiological state of something or the mental state of something. So where you've got these emotions are released, we think about them, that creates these feelings our mood takes a longer period of time. It's more subtle. It doesn't, we don't just go from a good mood to a bad mood in a split second. It might feel like that sometimes because we've had these strong emotions that have then linked to this cognitive thinking process. But actually moods take time and they tend to be a response to multiple factors all at the same time. Whereas emotions can be about one specific significant thing. So it's important for you to understand the difference between the emotions and the feelings, and also the moods that you might be experiencing. So what I basically just said there is emotions. These are these electrochemical signals that flow through us in unending cycles. They get released into our brains and they flow all through our body in response to our perceptions of the world that we have around us. And our perceptions are built on our values, our belief system, how we've experienced the world, how we've perceived the world. And the big myth is that 
There is no such thing as a good or a bad emotion. They're just neutral. They are simply just neutral. The difference is that we find some of them slightly more uncomfortable than others. And we find them more uncomfortable because of the way they impact our body and our physical state responds to them. And the whole purpose of emotions is they function to guide us to survive and thrive. So I was talking about this in previous episodes when we're talking about the whole meaning of life is for the individual human to survive so that we can support the human race to evolve and thrive. And emotions are a key function to help guide us to do that. Because what they do is they focus our attention and motivate us towards a very specific course of action. And that means that every single emotion that we experience or can experience has a very specific purpose. And therefore, we shouldn't ever be ignoring any of the emotions. We should be understanding them, processing them, almost reading the message that they're sending us and making a decision on what we're going to do with it. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes the response is ignore it that we don't need to do anything about that emotion. We just need to feel it. And other times we need to do something practical to something that's happening in our lives to make sure that these emotions don't stay as strong as they are. So all emotions have a purpose. So for example, very common emotion, anger. Now this is the signal that our path is blocked. It focuses all of our attention on the threat and motivates a response of fighting or pushing through that particular obstacle. It can be used destructively, as we've seen when we have lots of people who feel anger and people have to go through anger, um, anger management courses, but it also gives us the energy to find solutions to a pressing problem. So we see anger as a really bad thing because experiencing anger is uncomfortable, but being the other person experience the anger of another person is incredibly uncomfortable as well. So we naturally think that anger is a bad emotion, but actually it's trying to tell us something. It's trying to tell us that our signal in our life is blocked and we need to be able to do something about the threat and motivate ourselves to get past whatever that obstacle is. And we need to find the solution and anger gives us the energy to do that. Now, another example is something that's perceived to be a good emotion, joy, for example. And joy, this focuses our attention on an opportunity and it motivates us to do more of whatever we're doing. So we feel joy when we experience a meaning and a connection and a purpose of the emotion. And what we're really trying to say to ourselves is if we feel or experience meaning, a deep meaning to something and a deep connection to something, and that's giving us purpose and that gives us this strong emotion, it's trying to tell us that we need to do more of these things, seek out more ways that bring us this emotion, because these are positive, good actions, activities and experiences for us in our lives. So there is meaning behind every single emotion and we need to put the time and effort into understanding them and to learning them. Now, the mad thing is, is we aren't the only people who just experience our emotions because emotions are incredibly contagious. They can spread like a virus and we can catch all of the different emotions. And it's part of our survival system as pack animals to be able to work together as a tribe by having this communication between us, by experiencing all of these emotions and sharing emotions. I remember when, when Princess Diana died and I mean, I'm obviously in the UK, so it affected us greatly, but I know she was loved and adored worldwide. But that grief and loss, we personally, I personally never experienced the same grief and loss as her children did or her direct family and friends did. Yet the emotions that were so strongly connected to that loss 
that loss of Diana impacted all of us and it spread across the globe like a virus. And all of us suddenly felt this immense grief and loss towards this person that we cherished, we respected, but we never really knew. And that's a really good example of how emotions can be incredibly contagious. It's a bit like when um, the Beatles first came about and you just start from nowhere, you get the one scream and the two scream. And before you know it, there's hundreds of girls screaming because that energy from the emotions that they're feeling are just penetrating out of them and into these spaces. And before you know it, they're all responding with the same set of emotions. It's really important to know that they're, they are contagious. So you can spread good ones if you believe them to be good and you can spread the bad ones. What I mean by that is you can spread the ones that make people feel good and you can also spread the ones that can be a little bit uncomfortable for people too. But remember, they are all neutral. Emotions are also very different to feelings and moods, as I've already explained, but they are interrelated and so they do have an effect on each other. But really the main point of understanding what that effect is is the time linked to each one. An emotion on its own is very short, it's very sharp, it's very straight to the point. The feeling element comes from when the thinking cycle kicks in, so that extends the time. And the mood element is when everything's extended a lot more. So that's the main difference between those three elements is the time that each process involves for them. And as I said earlier, emotions, they're absorbed in the body in about six seconds. So each burst of emotional chemical comes from the time it's produced. It's produced in the hypothalamus part of the brain and it's completely broken down and absorbed into the body in approximately six seconds. In the six seconds, your body can change quite dramatically because emotions become physical within six seconds. And by that, I mean, you will feel it in certain parts of your body in six seconds. And I mean that by the way your body changes temperature to the different emotions that you feel. So, for example, when I'm working with some of my private clients and we're trying to identify if somebody may be experiencing depression, I will ask them, how do they feel? How do they feel in their body? How does their body feel? And I tend to get a lot of responses such as I feel numb. And that's because what is happening to that, it's changed the temperature. Almost if you were to look at the human body um, and you could see hot and cold in the human body and blue representing cold and red and orange representing hot, then what you'd actually see is the coldness in a depressed person. So their body temperature has gone very, very cold and it's gone so cold it almost looks like it's numbed the body, just like if you sat in a cold bath, you would numb your body. So that happens through depression. On the opposite side of that, when we're looking at happiness, if you imagine that the person who is experiencing the emotion of happiness, they are glowing. They are glowing from head to toe in the brightest of oranges, the brightest of reds and the brightest of yellows because their whole body is hot. It warms you up. Happiness makes you feel warm head to toe. Now, if we go back to this concept of anger, we call it hot headedness because what anger tends to do is it comes from the heart. So it heats you up from the almost from the chest upwards. So you feel this heat come over you really strong. So, again, if you were glowing, the bottom half of you is pretty black is nothing there. But in your head and in your upper body and in your limbs, it's burning. It's that burning colors. Now, when you're looking at someone who may be experiencing something like, let's have a think of love, for example. Now, love 
is hot from certain areas up. So from our loins upwards, we experience love. So again, if you can imagine the human body glowing up, if somebody's experiencing love, you'll see it from the groin area up to the chest area, really dominant in the central part of the chest where the heart is, really hot head again, and all of this beautiful body just glowing in the reds, the ambers, the oranges, just full of this upper body warmth. And then you've got other experiences where you've got things like feeling sadness. When sadness takes the the blue body concept of depression and just adds a little bit of heat into the middle. So you tend to feel sadness in your chest area where the the energy really penetrates the, the chest area. When it comes to surprise and shock, you tend to get surprise and shock in the chest area in the head. So the energy just hits the chest and it just hits the head. And so those six seconds of emotions are really, really crucial because what they are telling you is they change, they're telling you something's going on in your life. And they're also telling you that your body is changing because of them. And so for you to understand your emotions, it's really important to be able to go stop, ooh, breathe, check in with myself. How am I feeling on the inside? Where is my heat? Where are my energy levels? Do I feel fluctuations in that? And really start to understand what emotions you are feeling, first of all. And then you have to think about what you're feeling. What do those emotions make you feel like? And that's linking that cognitive thinking process to it. So they're the ways that you can do that. Now, if you go to my website, 8wiseways, 8wise.co.uk, sorry. I'm obsessed with the 8wise ways. I've got so many new blogs coming out for 8wise ways. That's why. But 8wise.co.uk in the free resources, you will see something there called the emotion wheel. What the emotion wheel is, it helps you to identify the very specific emotions you are feeling in any moment in time. The importance of understanding the emotion is you're able then to get the very specific detail of the emotion, which then gives you some idea of being able to go, okay, what experience have I had today that has triggered that emotion? And if it's emotions that don't make you feel comfortable, you know you need to problem solve that experience that you've had or that situation you were in. Or if they're emotions that you love, you experience, they make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, then you know that you want to try and have a few more of those. So use the emotions wheel to help you understand your emotions and identify them. But when you are or when you have identified them, I want you to think about the ones that you find or make you feel unpleasant. And I don't want you to run away from them. I want you to understand them. So for example, some of the unpleasant emotions might be anger, guilt, frustration, fear, disgust, jealousy, regret, and even sadness. So I want to just give you a little bit of information about each of those so you can understand it and then you can understand how to process it moving forward. So let's start with anger. Okay, so the function of anger is to be able to express your dislike and negative feelings towards something or someone. And you need to be able to do that because your emotion is telling you that something is blocking you and you need to be able to get it out of the way. So it's triggered by the feeling of something or someone doing something wrong, stopping you from doing something, not moving in the same direction, blocking you from achieving something. So being angry helps with ensuring your vulnerability is protected And anger also occurs when you have a sense of yourself, if you are personally being threatened or your motivation is being threatened. And anger provides you with the motivation to problem solve, to identify the blocker, to work through it. 
So anger, as unpleasant as it might feel, really, really important emotion to experience. Experience it, acknowledge it, accept it, understand it, process it, move on. Guilt is one of the most common emotions that people who come and see me tell me that they're feeling. Now, guilt, you see, it's seen as a moral and social emotion that's geared towards others. It has the goal to signal that we are doing something morally wrong, which makes us feel bad and then causes us to make amends. So basically what guilt makes us feel is that we're not fitting in with society, that we're not doing what we're supposed to do. You know, feeling guilty, it's one of the probably the most destructive emotions that we can ever experience. And it has three main functions. Number one, it helps us to maintain and repair relationships. It helps us to influence others and it helps us to deal with experiencing emotional distress. So guilt is an important emotion to experience. So you need to experience it. What is it you feel guilty for? Can you change whatever the situation is that you're feeling guilty for? Is that guilt helping you or helping others in any way, shape or form? And if not, acknowledge it, accept it, process it, move forward from it. Frustration. We've all been there. Frustration. Oh, very uncomfortable. When there is a situation where a person cannot achieve a desired outcome, it could be because someone else is blocking it. It could be because we're blocking it. It could be just because they can't get to where they want to be. That's when we get frustrated. Now, frustrated is closely linked to anger, but they are not the same thing. So a person who feels frustrated, it's basically a reaction to stress. So frustration is signaling to us that we need to use a different tactic or strategy to reach our goal. What frustration is saying is the path you are on is not working. Change the path. Don't keep trying to do the thing you've been trying to do. Otherwise, you're going to stay feeling how you feel. It's ultimately saying to you, the goal you're trying to achieve and the way you're trying to achieve it is not working out. So change it. Fear, one of the strongest uncomfortable emotions. And the function of fear, you might find it quite obvious, but exists to signal to us that that we're in an imminent danger, that we are under threat, that there is a motivational conflict for us. And the goal for fear is to help us with that stress, fear, fight, flight process of survival. So it's about telling us that if we have prolonged exposure to this threat, it might lead to, I guess, our extinction in some way, whether it be an individual one or a bigger one with regards to our entire social system. So the fight, flight, free system that we've got inbuilt in us comes from fear and it's triggered by the fear so that if we're in immediate action we trigger this response it helps us get out of this situation so fear helps us to understand the situations or the stimuli in our lives that we need to avoid in the future when we move from fear we move on to disgust Now, psychologically, psychologists believe that the main function of disgust is to protect us from illness, contamination and potential diseases. So, for example, if you take the concept that if a piece of fruit or a piece of meat is rotting, then it will smell a certain way, it will taste a certain way, it will look a certain way. And that leads to this inner feeling of disgust, which means that we won't eat it. It prevents us from eating the thing that could be very dangerous to us. Otherwise, we would eat it, we'd make ourselves very sick. So the concept of disgust is really about protecting us from any form of illness. So 
it's triggered when we feel confronted with something offensive or unpleasant. So we then distance ourselves from it. And obviously it's not just about food. It's we could feel it with regards to a person when we are offended by them, when we feel unpleasant by them. It can, it can be a smell, it can be a room, it can be so many different things. It can be something you watched on TV. But that concept of disgust is really built into our primitive state with regards to trying to protect us from any form of illness and contamination and potential disease. That is why we feel disgust. Now, jealousy. Oh, that's a strong, 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 strong jealousy. And this is when people perceive a threat, whether it's real or it's not, to a relationship they have with someone. That's when jealousy occurs. And this could be because they are insecure in the relationship and they feel that they, you know, this person could love someone else or they couldn't be loved. They've got low self-esteem. It tries to signal to us that the relationship we value might be threatened. So we should act to fix it or make it better. The goal is to preserve and maintain social bonds because our primitive mind still connects to the fact we're animals and therefore primitively we are pack animals and the pack has to remain strong. The relationships we choose to have have to remain strong. So jealousy is telling us that the relationship we have might be under threat if we don't make some changes and it has to be linked to the relationships that we find some form of value in. So it's just your inner wolf telling you that that part of the pack is really important to you and you want to make sure you don't lose it. We go from jealousy to regret and it's a big one regret. I mean, I talk to a lot of my clients with regards to this when they get so focused on your work, they have a poor work-life balance or they get focused on situations that might not be helpful to where their life right might be at the time. And I always say to someone, you know, if in your last moments in this life, what are you going to look back and regret? And very rarely, and I give this to all of you out there who are workaholics, none of us are going to sit on our deathbeds and go, I regret not working harder. I regret not working more. I regret not spending time at the office or more time at the office. And the main reason we feel regret is to learn from mistakes we have made so we can make better informed decisions in the future and plan things in a more useful way. This is part of our evolution process. Regret allows us to feel, to learn from mistakes, to make better decisions and to educate other people generation after generation so we can continuously evolve. So essentially, it's just a signal that tries to tell us to take another look at the choices we made so we understand that our actions could lead to negative consequences and that by doing that process and going through that regret, learning from mistakes and moving forward, we create new processes for each of the generations that help us as the human species evolve more. Um, stay alive for longer, arguably stay at the top of the food chain for a little bit more too. So that's the reason we have regret. And the final one I want to tell you about today is sadness. So sadness is an important signal to us that we need help. This help is sometimes needed from other people. It might be that you need a shoulder to cry on, for example. It could mean that we need to help ourselves. This might be about self-care. It's about finding out what we need help with taking some time to work that out and implementing the strategy to make sure that whatever we want or whatever is missing from our lives or whatever way that we are not feeling at our best right now, we get the help to do that. 
This is why I always say that if you are feeling incredibly sad, which is a very core emotion for people who are experiencing mental health issues, you do need to reach out to people. And I know it's not always easy. And I also appreciate you might not always have somebody in your inner circles. You might not have an inner circle, but there are people out there who are ready to listen to you right now. In the UK specifically, we have the Samaritans helpline that you can ring anytime if you need support, if you need help, pick up the phone, don't struggle alone. You have that support there if you need to. Now, it's important to understand these unpleasant emotions so you don't run away from them. They have a role to play. They are there to help you. They are trying to tell you something about the direction your life is currently in or even the way that you are currently experiencing a transition that you are in. So learn to read the emotion, learn to understand the emotion. You need to process it. And the way to do that, you need to identify it, accept it, understand it, understand what triggered it, and then do what you need to do about the trigger. That's why emotions are so important. They're so valid because they exist for a reason. And it's important that you're able to understand them and process them and not suppress them. Because if you suppress them, that energy, all those colors and all those different colors of energy in the body, they stay there and they get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger. And then they cause major issues for our emotions, our mental health, our physical health, and they are what can lead to major health disorders. So please put some time, put some effort into understanding your emotions, developing emotional regulation techniques and start to have a lot better emotional wellness for your overall life and quality of life moving forward. So that my lovelies, episode 15, understanding unpleasant emotions. The top tip here is don't be scared of them. No emotions are there to ruin your life. They're there to help you live a fruitful, informative, full life. They're not there to make your life bad. The reason that they are unpleasant is they want you to be unpleasant. They want you to feel unpleasant towards them because then that in theory should make you strong enough to want to change something. That's what emotions are really all about. So thank you for listening to this episode today. I hope you've got something from it. I hope you're not experiencing too many of those unpleasant emotions at this moment in time. But like I said, don't be fearful of them. Process them. Spend some time. Um, If you can, this is why I created the journal. So you can use the journal to help you manage all of this stuff. My book, Eight Wise Ways to a Healthy, Happy Mind, that's got the emotions wheel in it as well. You can get free access to that via my website, eightwise.co.uk. Have a look at all of the free downloads while you're there. There's a lot of information, a lot of resources that you can help build your emotional wellness with. So thank you for listening today. Uh, If this is your first episode, thanks for joining us. I hope you found it useful and beneficial when you finished. And if you've got the time, why not pop back to episode one and start listening to the podcast from the beginning? Because that's how I explain to you in a lot more detail the eight wise model and how you can live the eight wise way through the four core dimensions and the eight elements of the eight wise model. If anybody has any questions, any queries, and you'd like to contact me directly, then please feel free to email me at info at daltonwise.co.uk. That's info at daltonwise.co.uk. And what I'll do in the notes is I'll get a link in there. So if you just prefer to leave me a little voice note question instead, I'll be able to pick it up from there. Now, if you are looking to change your life and you want to live the eight wise way for better mental health and better physical health and an overall better quality of life, then why not come along and join the Facebook group, which is called the Eight Wise Wellness Cafe. Again, I will put the link to that in the notes below. And it's I called it a cafe because I just wanted that vibe to it. You know, that little cheeky coffee 
um, coffee shop vibe where people just hang out and they chat and it's it's not intense. It doesn't have to be intense. If you want to reach out and talk to people, there's people there who are happy to chat to you and happy to talk to you, happy to share um, their stories, their experiences. I'm going to share lots of tools, techniques, tips in there. So you've got lots of things that can help you boost your mental health and well-being and, and start living that eight wise way. Um, but you can also follow me on all of the other social media spots as well. You don't have to join the group on Facebook. You've got um, Eight Wise Therapy is on there. Um, you can follow me directly as well, Eight Wise Kim on in Instagram. Follow me, Eight Wise Kim or Eight Wise Therapy. You can get me on uh, LinkedIn. I think it's Eight Wise Therapy there and just Kim everywhere else. So basically, if you look at Eight Wise, something or other, Eight Wise with the number eight, you will find me on all forms of social media. And I'd love to interact, engage and chat with you there. If you do want to get copies of the books, as I said, you can get them from any major book retailer globally. And also you can get them directly from my bookstore, which is on my website. And as I said, if you've liked the podcast, what I would love for you to do is click like, click share, share it with your friends, share it with your mates, share it with work, share it with whoever you think might need it or might benefit from it, who might be interested in it. Please subscribe and then that way you won't miss out any of the other episodes and go back and listen to the beginning. As I said, I say this all the time, but I really did. I, I, I developed eight wise because I didn't want people to feel like I was feeling at the time when I was really at my lowest with my mental health, which is completely lonely and not knowing where to start and waiting for help, but not knowing what to do whilst waiting. And so we don't know how many people are out there who are struggling alone. We don't know who could listen to this and feel some support. We don't know who might listen to this and get some tools and techniques that might be the changing moment in their life right now. So please, if you can, share it with as many people as you possibly can. Let's see if we can um, help as many people live the eight wise way for better mental health and well-being and more importantly, a better quality of life as well. Now, the good news is, my lovelies, I've got my training events coming up. So we're launching the Eight Wise Academy, which is all about all the different Eight Wise courses that are going to be available to you. So keep an eye out on that. That is all on my social media sites. I've got the masterclass coming up. I've got the discovery course coming up. I have got Eight Wise Ways Accelerator course coming up as well, which is much more in depth. But all of the aim of these courses to help you change what you want to change in your life, help you develop psychological well-being, help you live the eight wise way for life so that you can have a really good quality of life. I want to try and look after the one in four who experience mental health issues. And I also want to look after the three in four who might be at risk of developing them. So the courses, if you would like to um, get involved in the courses, then again, you can contact me directly at all of the details I've given you or check out social media where all the information is. And it'd be great to see you on those courses, which will all be done by Zoom to start with. So wherever you in the world, it will be great to see you. So that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. My name's Kim Rutherford, psychotherapist, author, podcast host, and the creator of Eight Wise. I hope you can join me in the next episode. We are going to be talking about understanding your thinking patterns so that you can put all of these tools and techniques together to start helping you move towards a healthier, happier mind. So it'll be great if you join me then. So until next time, take care of yourselves and I will see you soon. Bye for now.